right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the House of Pride show live from San Francisco, and we have a special treat for you today. We have the one and only, the producer of Praise Up and many other hits, the one and only international DJ sensation Guy Shyman. Can you hear us? Yes, I hear you very well, and I also hear Praise Up, uh, the Nick Harvey remix in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know your remixes. <laughs> Welcome yeah, to... Yeah, well, it's... Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very happy to be to be here with you. How are you today? I'm good. I'm busy. It's, you know, it's um, the beginning of New Year's. We have to do all the taxes of the previous year, new projects, promotions, promos, all that stuff. So I'm always busy. Trying to be busy. Wow, you're doing your taxes from all your DJ gigs last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just collecting everything for the accountant. I'm not really doing it like you know, but it's it's still a, it's still a lot of work. <laughs> do you, do you, most of your gigs are they above board or do you sometimes get paid you know under the table? Is it like a fifty fifty thing or I I have my I, my hunch I, is that it's above board because your manager um, is the same manager. No no as everything Tony. everything yeah everything <laughs> is declared everything is declared and everything usually it's a it's a deposit. 50% deposit and then the rest um, I'm going to start from this year to also have like um, because I had some bad experiences with um, um, some promoters that are new and didn't do any events before and the deal was great but I'm still chasing some of the money that is six the, months after that's the so, worst, so, worst feeling yeah absolutely yeah so I'm like with I have like I'm, uh, I talked to my manager in the states and like well with new promoters we're just gonna have everything up front especially when it's overseas in Europe or you know when you have to travel so long if it's something if it's like a local promoter that we know then um, the regular ones I usually get paid the full amount after my gig and um, some do um, still get um, um, deposits you know they, they still think it's because um, we think uh, they're going to run away. It's not about that. It's about keeping the cash flow and and everything. You know how it is. So it, it's always absolutely good to, to, always great to get deposits like before. Well, that's standard in entertainment. You know. Yeah, I know. Uh, people don't realize what goes into actually getting paid sometimes with entertainers and DJs. Chasing the money is sorry, the wor worst feeling. That was the alarm. That, that was the alarm <laughs> of me getting ready for the interview. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah it. Uh, uh, you've had a, a busy year. Uh, give us a, a couple of highlights from last year for you. Say again? What, was, what were one or two highlights from from your career last year? Anything stands out that you're really going to remember? Um, well, there, there's been a few um, really awesome gigs. Um, um, I did Pride for uh, Circuit Mom. Um, usually Pride Month in June is, is my busiest time. Um, I did City Pride, Chicago Pride, Denver Pride, um, Atlanta Pride in October. So um, I had um, um, a mini tour in Europe in August. Um, with um, I played in Amsterdam, in Munich, and in uh, Marseille in France. Um, and this year it's been, um, after White Party Bangkok, um, it's, it's been going really well. It's, it's starting to be really crazy. Like I already have like 20 or even more gigs confirmed. We're only in January. I'm going to, uh, um, my next big event is going to be, um, um, World Pride in Sydney. I'm supposed to have four, uh, big events over there that I'm playing in Sydney and Melbourne. So I'm really excited for that. Um, that's, that's awesome. 
What was and uh, in April? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, let's talk about Bangkok. How, how was that? Did you get to uh, not work, oh my God. work for a day and go out, or did, was it just work? Um, so, yeah, well, I, I made the mistake because, you know, the promoter told us we can stay extra time in the same hotel, um, but it was kind of expensive. So I was like, no, I'll just do the gig, and my husband didn't want to come. So I was like, what am I going to do by myself over there? But I, I could have crossed the street and went to this, like, you know, $30 or whatever hotels and stayed an extra few days. But that was pretty late in the game because my flights and everything were yeah. um, booked. So I stayed for, like, a four four days. Um, and with the jet lag and everything, I didn't have a lot of chance to see much. But... Um, the overall experience was absolutely amazing. Um, it was one of the, probably one of the best produced um, um, gay events that I attended in the last at least five years, I think. Everything was top-notch, the production, the sound, the visuals, the lasers, everything was amazing. The tr- they treat you so well over there. Like From the moment you land, they pick you up, don't let you pay for anything. They, they provide meals, whatever you want. And, and, you know, put me in a super nice suite in a very fancy hotel. And, and, and everything is like, I love, I love working in Asia. They always treat the artists the way that we were treated like 20 years ago in most places. But now it's like, here's the address. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be, be at the club at that time and don't be late and that's it. So, um, and, 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 and in Asia, it's a whole different ballgame from the pickup to the to dinners and, and, it was also a week before my birthday, so they after my gig they took me to a side room with all the dancers and we had cake and everything. So oh, it was it was it was that's really yeah it was very nice. Yeah, that sounds nice. Um, yeah, yeah f- I mean, geez, folks don't realize it's expensive lodging if if the produce production team is going to help you out there. That starts to dig in pretty deep fast. Uh, so. Yeah, kudos to Asia, Asian gay, treating their artists the right way. <laughs> yeah, they actually, they provide you four nights hotel, which is amazing. Usually amazing. They, you get like one night. but because So most of the DJs, what they did, they stayed for the weekend, and then after that, they traveled. But they had either the partners or some sort of a friend going in with them. If I would have had like a, sort of a companion, I would probably stay for an extra week or something and just do some sightseeing. Some, I know that some of my friends are still there. It's like been almost a month. So, you know, because the only to travel from the States to Asia, this this was the first time because I usually when I went to to play in China and all that before the pandemic, I went from Israel. So it wasn't that long of a trip. Mm -hmm. But from the States, it's basically you come from the past into the future because they're like 14 hours ahead and we're in the past and Israel is basically in the middle. So it's like basically traveling two days. Or like almost not two days, like almost a day, just to get there. And yeah, and the gotcha. jet lag is killing. Is it was crazy. Are you living in the states now with your husband? Yeah, I'm living in I'm living with my husband in Denver. I moved here in February 2021. Um, I finished the pandemic and I actually got my green card in November 2019. But the pandemic started and I didn't want to come here and basically with no job. So I stayed in Israel. I did my day job there. And uh, after the pandemic, I moved. I moved gotcha, all the gotcha. studio. I packed all my all the speakers, sound card, computer that I had in Israel, put in boxes, sent it in the ship, and um, yeah, I, I built everything here from scratch. And uh, first year was kind of like it wasn't easy. I started working from May, 
because a lot of promoters had um, bookings from the previous couple of years they had to um, fulfill. Mm-hmm. But it was way better last year, and it's way, way better this year. So I'm happy that I did that move, because right now Israel is very, very expensive, and it's very hard to live there. And so, yeah, it was, it was a good decision. Do, do you have uh, family in, in Tel Aviv or Israel? Yes, I have family. I have friends. Um, we visit them at least two, three times a year, okay. most like for Passover or in the summer. Um, I try at least a couple of times a year because, again, it's, it's and when I visit, I usually try to, like this year, I'm going to have like um like another European tour. I'm going to do, we're going to go to Nice in France. Then sorry, we're going to go to Paris, then to Nice, then to Israel, and then I'm going to be back and go to Amsterdam um, for another gig. So I'm you always trying to like put, I'm always trying to put everything together. <laughs> yeah, it's a globe trotter. That's what you are. Globetrotting <laughs> DJ extraordinaire. Um, hey, let's segue now you. into um, your your new production, your new club hit, uh, Praise Up, which is you know charting on our. It's actually top five on Pride Top Thirty this week uh, with the bullet, um, and I see it off on some record pools here in the states. Uh, is it uh, is it also being promoted in Europe and Israel? How are you doing that? So um, I use um, um, Swisscraft um, by Matt Consola, yes. promo pool, mm-hmm. and um, I think this is a part of his um, the 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 radio station and everything is also working with him and all that. So um, we're promoting with him. Um, there's usually a big Spotify campaign, Beatpunk campaign, all that stuff um, because it's a big, big record, and we invested a lot of um, time and energy and money. We also decided me and Tony Moran. It was so the so the the story about this track is like it was originally released on my 2020 album with a different singer, but she went on tour um, um, with Duran Duran and all that. So she couldn't she didn't want to be featured again on a new record. Um, so that's how we picked um, we offered it to uh, Susan Palmer, which she, she talked on the radio. Yeah. Um, like I think a few days ago mm-hmm. and she said yes and she loved the song so we re- re-released it uh, with her vocals um, and I think it was a wise decision because she gave something completely different and it's Susan Palmer you know she's a legend and, and for me when I the first post that I did on Facebook about it it was like it's like a full circle because I used to listen and dance to Tony and Susan when I was like uh, younger and, and when I was a clubber before I was even a DJ so to release to work with those two legends and release um, this song on my label it was a full circle for me so it was like um, that was a kind of um, really amazing thing for me and uh, yeah the promotion is everywhere which we, we push it everywhere um, um, in the gay scene from Asia to Brazil we're getting so far. We're getting amazing responses because I think we um, have um, some amazing remixes that covers most of the musical genre in the gay scene. Not not every all the all the genres, but in the gay scene uh, for sure. And we have a second pack coming up next month with a bit more high energy circuit mixes as well. So we're gonna. It's 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 been a really good record, and it's been really. Um, I'm loving I'm loving reading the um, love reading the, the the comments and the feedbacks from um, from the DJs. People are really happy with it. So 
yes, yeah. congratulations. A great song. I'm feeling it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I love. And thank you, for, thank you so much for pushing it and promoting it as well in your station. You know, you have a lot of mixes to choose from. So yes. um, I'm really appreciative of, <laughs> of you pushing that and doing an interview with us and helping interviews with us and helping us promote it. That's that's amazing. So uh, thank you very much for that. That is uh, on my task list today. I want to. Uh, audition all of the uh, remixes because I'm just working with that one mix now but I think um, I'm I subscribe to to Matt's Switchcraft so I think I can access as anyone can uh, in the business through his portal is that correct yeah I can also send them to you don't oh, worry oh yeah if you <laughs> sure send me a link that might even be more direct <laughs> yeah but, it uh, might be way easier t- tell us about uh, some of the talented team you have who are some of the remixes on board so for the first pack, we had Alex Ramos, GSP, uh, Lucius Slow, who did amazing um, kind of shape shifters kind of um, vibe. Um, Tony did the original club, and I did the TLV. So the TLV wasn't, it's not a person, it's Tel Aviv, and I did that mix. Because oh, cool. so, some people got confused about who is TLV. Yeah. So that, 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 that was my original mix. Um, so we decided for this, for this re-release, each of us going to make his own signature sound which gave it a bit more um, uniqueness because uh, Nick Harvey did a, um, a big room tech techno um, mix that you have that you're playing that is like, he always he always nails us with his mixes. So um, I really wanted him to be there. Alex Ramos did an amazing circuit high energy mix as well. Very big in the dance floor right now. The dance floor is in the States right now. Um, we're supposed to have for the second part, um, uh, Maru Mozart, Jakinski, Eric Ibiza, and I think Alex Ramos is going to make a Tech House remix, um, not a circuit mix that he wanted to release. So I gave him the opportunity to do that as well for the next pack as well. So, um, yeah, we pretty much covered um, yeah, all of the genres, and, and I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, the party continues, folks. Uh, yeah, so um, you can find the the uh, EP on probably um, most of the uh, digital platforms. Uh, do you recommend anyone in particular for folks to download? I mean, I mean, I find my music on Beatport, but it's on TrackSource. It's even on Yandex in Russia. You can find it everywhere. Um, it's on Spotify. Um, obviously, on my SoundCloud and all of the uh, all of the remixes has their own mixes on their SoundCloud yeah. with the download um, link. But it's on most digital stores. And yeah, you can't miss it if you just Google it. Praise up, Guy Shaman, Tony Moran, and Susan Palmer. You'll find it. It's a hot ticket, folks. Uh, what's a popular platform in Israel for uh, downloading dance music? Um, I think Beatport. When I was in Israel, I, used to, I usually went on Beatport. Um, yeah, there used to be some um, um, sites in the UK, but for me, Beatport is the is the most um, common. Yeah. Um, there are also a lot of promo pools in Israel um, with the radio station and all that. But that's mostly for the local Middle Eastern Israeli vibe, which yeah. I'm not, I don't really need when I spin because I spin mostly abroad. I used to spin when I was in Israel, mostly abroad. So, you know, but Beatport for me is the best. So I would re- really recommend that. It covers all the genres, so it's, it's pretty good, the yeah. electronic music. And uh, where can folks go to follow you? Um, you can go to my website. And um, it's www.guyshaman.com, uh, and um, there's all there's all the links over there. I'm on all the social platforms from TikTok to Instagram. You just write Guy Shaman, and I don't think there are any other 
guy shaman in the world that I checked the last time. <laughs> so what? No, no, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so if you Google my name, you'll, you'll find lots of pages and, and you can, it, I'm easy to find. All so, right. Hey, but well, everything is on my website. So yeah. Oh, great. Well, we're going to go out a little bit more with Praise Up, folks. Uh, don't go anywhere because that song's going to reappear in the countdown. I won't tell you where it is in the top 10, but you just have to listen and find out. And yeah, thanks for stopping by House of Pride Radio today, Guy. Uh, and don't be a stranger. Come on back anytime you'd like. Whenever you want me, I'll make the time and talk to you. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for the help and the support. I really appreciate, appreciate it. And you. And uh, to everybody who listens, um, have an amazing um, weekend almost, and uh, thank you for the support. You got it. Same right back at you, honey. Take care now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Too high for the roof. Some people try to tear you down. House of Pride Top 10 Countdown, live from San Francisco with your host, Tweeka Turner. All right, coming in at number 10, making her first appearance here on the Top 10, it's the wonderful Lisette Melendez and her revamp of that Karen Young classic that we all love, Hot Shot. Coming in at number 10 debut on Flavor Records. Check it out.
Oh, uh, yes, Hot Shot debuting at number 10 this week on the Pride Top 10 Countdown. That's Lizette Melendez. All right, still in the top 10, one of the longest runs we have on the countdown. It is the iconic Sam Steeper herself, Miss Christine W. Yes, coming in at number nine, Can't Look Back. This is a Tony Moran uh, remix, club remix, to be exact, on the fly again, music label. Can't Look Back, check it out. Just to dance to 
Oh, yeah, we're loving, we're loving, we're loving Can't Look Back by Christine W. One of her biggest hits here on the Pride Top 10. Now we've got to move on to the countdown. There's only eight songs left this week. Holding strong in number eight for a second week is Unholy. You all know this song, Sam Smith and Kim Pinterest.
right, all right. How's the Pride Radio? Counting down the hottest club hits on the Pride Top 10 countdown. Coming in now at number seven is an interesting take on Steve Miliband's Pine uh, piece on Slipping Into the Future. It's simply called The Future. It's on I Am House Music, Georgie Porgy's label, featuring Glenn uh, Frysissa and uh, Alex Corolla. And Georgie Pledge, it's called The Future. Check it out.
time sure is slipping into the future rather fast here in 2023. Live from San Francisco, it is the Pride Top 10 Countdown. That's the future. I am House, Georgia Torty. All right, we're moving along now. Number six, former number one. It is Anti-Hero by Taylor Swift. And it's the fabulous 30 Disco Remix. Shout out to Mark Elang in Houston, Texas. Check it out, folks.
Great remix, really, really hot. Anti-hero, Taylor Swift, coming in at number six. That means we're entering the top five, folks. Super excited to start the top five with Praise Up. That is Guy Shimon, Tony Moran, and the diva herself, Miss Suzanne Palmer. We just had her on last week, folks. Check it out. This is Praise Up. You can download this anywhere, all digital platforms. We just interviewed Guy a little earlier in the show. Enjoy this remix, Praise Up.
Yeah, we'll have no throwing shade here on House of Pride Radio. <laughs> That's a massive club hit coming in at number five this week. Praise up. All right, we're getting there. Getting close to number one. In at number four, it's Vossi. Pieces. Loving this track, ladies and gentlemen. This is Bossy Bingo Players Disco Fries, the Josh Hunter Extended Remix. Enjoy in at number four.
your dance shoes on, get out on the dance floor, and let French Jolie love you with Let Me Love You in at number three this week.
Uh, she'll be here next Thursday, folks, live, a one-on-one with Franz Jolie on Outspied Radio. Right now, we're at the two biggest hits on this week's Top 10 Countdown, coming out to you live from San Francisco. Yes, we interviewed Suzanne Palmer just last week. She's responsible for two hits in the top five this week. One and number five with Praise Up. And now in at a strong number two with God. Yes, indeed. This is on the Wake Up Music label. Oh, baby, we're not going anywhere. This is Shamanic featuring Suzanne Palmer. What you gonna do? Yeah. 
Yes, great song, Gone. Coming in at strong number two, but now, folks, it is time for the number one song this week on Pride Top 10. Countdown, holding tight and strong at number one for a second. Consecutive week is... Can't Stand the Rain by Russ Rich featuring Debbie Harry. Not Debbie Harry, good Lord. Debbie Holiday. And in fact, I just texted Debbie and she is in Vermont getting ready for a big show tonight. We want to wish her the best of luck. Break a stiletto, Debbie. In the meantime, we're going to go out with the number one song this week on the Pride Top 10 countdown. I Can't Stand the Rain. Yes, it's on the Swishcraft label. Folks, get ready to get down. This is a hot one.
pretty funny. Oh, look at this effect. Here is Genie in the... Genie, you're in the bloody lamp. Oh my god, I'm pretending... Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. You can watch if you want to. You can slap Spiegelman's behind. L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny. Mutiny! It's pronounced Mutiny. Mutiny! It's, it's pronounced Mutiny! Oh, my turn-offs are guys who say Mutiny. Mutiny? Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. Good to see you again. Good to Good do to... this again. Ready to yes. go. Another Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m., as we broadcast first on mutinyradio.fm here in San Francisco. Go ahead. Donate to their Patreon. Go ahead. Donate to their Venmo account. Donate. At Venmo is, is at Muni Radio. Uh, you can go to muniradio.fm and you can click and find the Patreon link there. Uh, we are here every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. East Coast Time. Oh, there goes my cat. Uh, and we are also a podcast with the acronym LWAFLMOIT, as we mentioned up front. And we're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to YouTube and just get it carte blank. Carte blanche? Blanche. Carte blanche. Separately, but with the with the video set up. Uh, yeah, you don't have to sync up the our yeah. audio to your real YouTube. We did it for you. Check yeah. out WAFLMOIT on YouTube. Because LWAFLMOIT is let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube. So you're going to listen to our podcast and watch a movie in real time for its entirety right now. Uh, but unless you're watching on the pod, if you're watching on YouTube, Carl's already said the movie up. Easy peasy. I handled uh, it. Yeah, we listen. If you're listening to the podcast and not watching the movie, you're not doing it properly. You're That's not right. getting the you're full experience. No, nope. absolutely. We are parasites, and we must harvest off the carcass of uh, actual <laughs> entertainment to, <laughs> to 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 call attention to ourselves for two hours a week. <laughs> So we're going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube. We want you to go to YouTube, find the movie, and watch it with us. Carl, what is the movie this week? This week we are watching The Fantastic Four, 1994. The Fantastic uh, Four, 1994. That's what you put in the YouTube search engine. And the channel we like is Actors Filming. It's actors not, Filming. Yeah, it's not cameramen, cameramen acting. It's Actors Filming is the channel we like. 
You can tell it's a good movie right now because no director actually filmed this movie. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and type in Fantastic Four 1994. Look for the uh, version hosted by acting, actors acting filming. Filming. Yeah. Not we acting did... filmers. Well, actors we... I was going to say, this is the second time our show has done it. This is the first time with Carl. And uh, first time since there's more information available about this film. So we're really excited to watch it again. It was on YouTube. Uh, you know, I, you start off a show called Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. You go straight to the heavy hitters. You go to the 1994 Fantastic Four. <laughs> I don't know. You look for the Chuck Perry video. You look for everything you could possibly look for. And uh, it was on YouTube. And then it got yonked. And now it's back on. It's been on for a while. Okay. So, yeah, uh, so it's great. We're going to revisit this episode. And I should say, with every bad movie, the joy is experiencing it and talking about it. So if other people have talked about this movie, it's just, what can we say? It's a great bad movie. It's on YouTube. That's the premise of our show. We like, you know, I read about this <clears throat> infamously, and uh, now I got to see it. So we're going to go ahead and see it. So go to Fantastic Four 1994, find the version from hosted by actors filming, Hit pause, move the meter to zero, zero, zero. And at the count of three, when you hear go, press go. Now, you're going to hear go from our special comedian, celebrity, comedian, countdown person who may not even be a comedian and may not even be hosted by Carl. <laughs> Take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Countdown, this time with Chris Gore. Sure. Chris Gore. Welcome, Chris. You guys are very enthusiastic. I, I haven't had my morning coffee. So <laughs> I just put well, a second pot. Today we're watching Fantastic Four, 1994, the Roger Corman mega blockbuster, right? And the reason we've got you on is in the service of Film Threat uh, magazine, you were on set for the entire filming, right? All 21, 25 days, was it? Uh, for most of the shooting, yes. It was around the holidays at the end of the year, but I was there, yeah. Now, that's unusual, was, was really. Is that because it was going to be a cover story you spent so much time? Uh, well, it ended up being a cover story, so I was on the set for filming, and, and yeah, um, the, the reason that they needed to start shooting before the, before the end of the year was because contractually, if they hadn't started shooting a movie before the end of the year, they would, you know, they would have lost the rights to the Fantastic Four. This German company. Yeah, so they were, it was so quick to. This, yeah, this German company hired Roger Corman to just make a Fantastic Four movie that they had no intention of ever releasing. Unbeknownst to everyone working on the movie, yeah. Uh, they thought they were making the Fantastic Four movie and they were super excited. I was excited because the Fantastic Four is, I mean, it's my <laughs> gateway comic book. It's between that and Batman, it's the you know, two comic, you know, uh, franchises that I love the most. So when I heard they were going to film, I, I said, I want to be there because I had just done a story on a movie called Carnosaur, which was Roger Corman's ripoff of Jurassic Park. So, um, so that would just sort of led me to being on the set the in, almost the entire time, the entire shoot. Which now, we did Carnosaur uh, on this podcast also, and we it was horrible, horrible film, terrible. Yeah, it's, I'm in it. I'm in it. It's horrible. Are you really? Yeah. Are you? Where, yeah, I'm where in are it. you? 
I am in the scene where these two characters are loading cages of, right. I think, chickens uh, onto a truck. Yes, towards and the I, beginning. And I, I, my line is, I changed it. I said, can, can you give me a hand with, the line was, can you give me a hand with this? And I said, can you give me a hand with this load? Just because I wanted <laughs> right. to say the word load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it I did worked. it for every take, and it's in the movie. <laughs> okay, I'm going to so, have to watch it again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So the the uh, filming of uh, uh, Fantastic Four took place in some of the same settings that uh, Carnosaur took place, and I understand that this building was condemned with rats in it and a cat that would chase the rats. Do you have any story about the condemned building? Your experience uh, there? I don't. I never saw any rats, but it was pretty ugly, and I did notice because I was on the set for Carnosaur. We did a story about that. Then I was. You know, it's like, oh, they're just recycling the same sets for the Fantastic Four, which was weird. It's like, and they barely repainted it. It was just like, I will throw some stuff up there on the wall and this and whatever. You know, he didn't seem to care. What I do remember is, is that, um, if I recall correctly, like, Roger Corman's famously cheap. I mean, uh -huh. he's famously cheap. And I, I, I interviewed him once, and I got him to pose with a penny. So <laughs> he's holding a penny up to his eye. And we had a photographer take a picture of him holding a penny just to kind of show how cheap he was. And I do recall that when I was working, I was hanging out on the set and whatnot, that someone was let go for buying name brand soda. Like you can't buy like Coke or Pepsi. You had to buy like whatever the low brand, like local grocery store brand of Coca-Cola was, like whatever, you know, generic brand snacks like don't get fancy snacks you know so i, I thought that was really funny that's like that's, that's how how much he was pinching pennies now we saw the uh documentary doom to prepare our research for the film and in it you talk uh -huh. about how like at first you were very giddy to be on the film, I mean, you were a fan, you know but as time yeah. moved on you started to realize this was going to be a b movie yeah, I mean, I, it was sort of this sad realization, especially when I saw the costumes, right? It's like, here they're in their Fantastic Four costumes, and it's literally felt fours glued onto these spandex. It was literally just spandex where, you know, they're shooting with certain angles to not show how haphazardly those costumes were assembled. The other thing was <clears throat> we did a, a cover photo shoot for Film Threat <clears throat> with all of the four characters, right? The main four. And <clears throat> what I loved was their enthusiasm. The actors, Alex Hyde White, who actually ended up being in the third Indiana Jones movie, who's an established actor, who now does voice acting. Alex does voice acting for, uh, he does he does a lot of voiceover for audiobooks. Great guy, great guy. And Alex Hyde White, he was just so earnest about this part. He cared uh -huh. so much about it. And looking back on the movie, it's probably the most accurate incarnation, at least to Stanley and Jack Kirby, what they had intended to do with the Fantastic Four. Just in tone, felt like, oh, this is like the first hundred issues that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee did of the Fantastic Four, right? Yeah, so, I agree. So, so that was great aspect. And the, the earnestness of everyone involved, with the exception of, I think, Roger Corman, it was just, <laughs> concerned with like let's just get this done and do it cheap the thing that was really sad was we did a photo shoot so we had like all four characters right and we put them against the set and i hired this photographer 
for shooting. And um, this is a story that I told that didn't make it into the documentary, by the way. This is like a bonus feature here. But the actress, I believe her name is Rebecca Staub. Yeah. She yeah. played Sue Storm, Invisible Girl. And this, let's just say that these spandex outfits left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> and there was serious camel toe that had to be touched up to put, you know, to be able to put this photo on the cover of Film Threat. I don't think she was wearing underwear. Okay, so, so post-production, you had to... We had to touch up those photos so as not to be uh, graphic. And, and um, you know, I remember, like, we're, we're shooting this, and I'm looking, I'm going, like, I don't know, is it, this could be a problem. We're going to have to put text over that. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're going to have to cover it up in some way. So... Wow. Yeah. Now, uh, in the plot, Sue makes the outfits. Do you think that excuses their cheapness? Right, they're homemade. Well, yeah. It's it's it is an excuse to excuse to you know make make them you know, and that's actually right out of the comic book, by the way, mm -hmm. which I which I thought was great. But yeah, I guess you can excuse the cheapness, and yeah, she should not have been a seamstress. Yeah, Sue right. Storm <laughs> should be you know she should be you know a girlfriend who you know will just go away. She can just go away when she turns invisible. She can just disappear. <laughs> right? That was Kirby's attention, I'm sure. Perfect. I guess. I guess. I don't know. But I, I, you know, like, look, I was a super fan. I'm like, the fact that, you know, I was living in a time where there was even a Fantastic Four film being made. I mean, look, yeah. you have to think, this was, this was the 90s, right? Like, the we're now living at a time, we're now living in a time where we have the luxury of complaining about the latest Disney Plus series, when who knew that there'd ever be a Hawkeye show or a Boba Fett show, right? Like, it's like, now there's like so much geek stuff that it's like, oh wow, there's a lot of crappy geek, geek stuff now. But back then it was few and far between. It'd be like a couple movies a year, maybe a TV show. So I was ecstatic, like, oh my God. And um, yeah, so so it was, it was for me, like it was like summer camp, you know? Because my responsibility was, you know, hey, I'm not making the movie, right? I don't right. like warning. And I was just there as an observer to do a story about it. And they compliment you in the Doom documentary, too. Now, I was a big fan of the comic book, uh, yeah, especially, yeah, the 60s one. And and don't you think things should have been a little bigger, right? Broader shoulders, darker thighs, huger. What, what was the thing costume like in real life? Like, did it look cool? It looked um, Well, it was weird because the actor who played Ben Grimm was taller than the actor who was in the Thing costume. Yeah, yeah. But the Thing costume in real life actually looked pretty good. Like, like the um, Optic Nerve Studios was the studio that that did, you know, the practical effects on, on the film. And they really put their heart and soul in it. I mean, yeah. soul into it. I mean, for them, I'm mean, sure they didn't make any money. I mean, like, I know they were paid. But at the end, I guarantee they didn't really make weren't weren't paid what what you know the time that was put into it, and I think that they looked at on it as like, well, this is going to be this is for us going to be stones. like a portfolio piece, right? Like, and they really really just put a lot of effort in that costume. They tried to make it accurate to the Kirby comics, and I, I would say that it's more accurate than the you know other Fantastic Four film that came out later, and then the one that came out you know more recently. Um, directed by Josh Trank. I mean, like, those are just sort of weird interpretations. Theirs is the most accurate to the comic book. With the, to the brow. Comic book is, mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the brow and everything. Like, they got that right. It, it, it moved, you know, in certain places. And so 
you know, it's a lot of it is how you photograph it. But I actually <laughs> thought that was one of the things that worked out really well with it was that costume, the way that that character was portrayed. Now, that guy was Carl Cafalio, and he was a huge yeah. stuntman. He went on to so much work and did so much work before it. But he reports that the suit was the hottest thing he's ever worn. Did you see him struggle with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. He, he had problems with it, right? Like, it was, you know, I mean, you sign up to be a monster in a costume. That's yeah. what you're going to be, right? You should know what you're getting into, right? Yeah, you're the yeah. thing. Now, they report there was no rehearsal. They just started rolling. There was more, like, about blocking. Did you see – did you have an impression, like, uh, this is a little rinky-dink here? I mean, I think when you look at it on screen, I think it came out okay. I think some of the acting was strong. Yeah, like, if it was if it was a movie that was made for television, I think that it would, like, oh, this is pretty decent. You know, they, they tried to remain faithful to the comic and faithful to the characters as they – were you know portrayed in the comic book i'm fearful that this they keep talking about a new fantastic four movie i think i think based on sort of the direction that marvel's going i think it'll be pretty awful uh, mm -hmm. i really don't have a lot of faith in it but this is this was but if this were a movie to be released in theaters i think it would be kind of lackluster i mean you know johnny storm doesn't really even turn into fully the human torch until the very end of the movie right one sort of last shot that was very early digital before digital effects were really a thing, right? I like, think it looked okay. It was fine for the time. There just wasn't enough of it. And and I think they knew that. You could tell from the script that it was kind of anemic. Like, they were writing around having to do special effects, right? So um, that was sort of a – that was a red flag right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, also, um, I heard that Stan Lee was on the set. Did you meet him? What was his yes. attitude like? Was he – Yes, I, he, I mean, Stan is, I mean, you know, if there's something going on, Stan Lee's going to gonna be there and be a part of it. So, yeah, he was on the set, but it was more just a glad hand. And yeah. I think that gave people confidence, too. Yeah, because, like it was you know, an endorsement. Yeah, it was definitely an endorsement. And I'm sure that Stan knew about the rights situation, that it was really about this German company holding on to the rights. Uh, you know, so so what can you say? But but, you know, that was, this is pre, like, Marvel being Marvel, right? This yeah. is Stan Lee just, like, trying to get something going. I think Blade was really the first breakout of a Marvel character that was put on screen that was successful. I mean, there were, there were you know, there were television attempts that were yeah. pretty decent. There like was the Captain Hulk show. America on a bike, right? On a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah right. and all the Captain America movie, don't remind me. But then there was also, like, the television series, there was um, Spider-Man. You know, there was the Bill Bixby Hulk show with yeah. Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. That was fun. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the Hulk that we have now for Marvel. Right. But it was, hey, it was it was a tragic, fun sort of, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, right? And then there was the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man show right. in the 70s, which Nicholas Hammond, by the way, has a cameo at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, oh, he's hey. in it. Everyone talks about, oh, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. Hey, I noticed Nicholas Hammond was <laughs> in it. So Nicholas Hammond is in the in at the very end of Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, uh, you see, they're in they're in the diner, and you know Peter Parker goes to visit MJ and observes MJ talking to 
a patron at the donut shop, and that's Nicholas Hammond. Gotcha. No Nick, kidding. Nicholas Hammond also played the director who directed um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, we... So, Quentin Tarantino put him in there, and he plays the director who directs the Western, and he's kind of trying to coach, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's kind of so. neat, neat. So, so uh, there was a uh, two-part Spider-Man, uh, uh, you know, on the television show that they stuck together and, and released in Europe as a as a feature. Yeah, uh, and we it. saw that on this show. That was a lot of fun, you know. Wow. Yeah, cheap. It was good. Now, was... I believe that Roger Corman had every intention to release this film, and it wasn't until he got the phone call from Avi... Avi Arad, Avi Arad, yeah. The Marvel guy. That was the first second that he said, okay, we're not releasing this, right? Do, do you agree? Yeah, I think that the, I don't know that their intention was ever to release it. I think their intention was to shoot it, and, and that was it. I mean, obviously, I got a bootleg copy of it years later, yeah. but I also did a thing where we, um, we took the cast of the Fantastic Four, like all four of them, did a signing at the Film Threat booth in at San Diego Comic-Con, and it flooded the aisles. I think we sold like 2,000 issues of that comic. A lot of people had already haven't had an issue of it, and they signed every single one, That's and uh, the cast was great. I the year later that Comic-Con did a rule, like, we have to have an autograph area. We can't have people <laughs> clogging up the you aisles. You guys did that. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's one. No, it, Oh, anyway, so that was that was like a delight to like have them all there, and th what was weird was just how enthusiastic those those main actors were. You know, now, I saw that in that documentary that yeah. the enthusiasm of the crew, like they did everything. They promoted the hell out of that movie at every convention. They were the voice of that movie, and you know, a fan on their like own my, dime. Yeah, on their own dime, and like a fan like myself would get excited because there really is such a thing, and there's such enthusiasm to it. I mean, I was excited, you know, like I like I, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would, you know, there'd be a Fantastic Four movie made. Like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, that's crazy. I so, remember reading the comics, uh, you know, at 11 years old, 10 years old, thinking they should make these into movies. You know, why aren't they doing that? You know, well, they had the cartoon well, show. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, there was the animated Fantastic Four cartoon. There were two of them, one in the 60s, which used the Human Torch and then. Another one that came later, yeah. I think it was in the late 70s, right. where they had Herbie the Robot because they were afraid kids were going to light themselves on fire to be oh. a human torch, which I guarantee you Marvel is going to address that in some way. Like, they're trying to figure out how do we do the Fantastic Four and not, like, have kids light themselves Lame on up. fire, and then how do you make it practical? Like, okay, if he ignited himself on fire and was in the kitchen that I'm in right now, that would probably destroy and melt the kitchen. He could, you know what I mean? Like, yes. there's just sort of practical real world things. Okay, if you're gonna have these characters now exist in the real world, how do they, how does it work? Now, did Film Threat go on to do an article to cover the fact that Fantastic Four would not be released? Did you follow up? Well, <clears throat> we never did because we could we could never get any answers, right? Uh -huh. You know, we did that cover story, and I remember, um, uh, I, I remember Tony Timpone from Bangoria magazine called me out of the blue and said, "Ah, oh, you really scooped this on that one," because I'd been doing stories where because I was in Hollywood, I could just go to the sets of these movies, and we 
covered Carnosaur, and you know, we just we're getting access to like low budget indie movies, which is kind of film threats bread and butter. I mean, we cover independent film, right? So, I mean, Roger Corman is an independent filmmaker. Yeah. And they but, went to Troma, too, uh, at first. Troma said no, right? I mean, the documentary taught me that. Right, right. So, so uh, you know, but we didn't know. I mean, we just did the story, and I wanted to be very comprehensive. I grew up reading Cinefantastic Magazine and Starlog and, and uh, you know, Fangoria. And, and I read all those magazines as a kid. I was, I was a magazine junkie. <laughs> at, a, at you know at the time at, in that era and i think at one point i had 50 magazine subscriptions this is really? before the internet yeah yeah, this yeah. before That's the internet right. and just so people who may not know magazines are like the internet but on really thin slices of wood and yeah. you can read them <laughs> That's a good way to well, say you, it. you know this podcast it's, exists exact for, yeah we, we we're doing this podcast because i used to read psychotronic yeah. video all the time yeah i love like that magazine. Video. yeah i love it and I would say, oh, my that God, magazine. that I, I, and then just like there were so many great ones at the time. And I just wanted to be film threat sort of had its own niche, which was indie film. Right. That was our that was what we focused on. And sometimes that crossed over into genre stuff. So um, certainly a lot of you know low budget underground films were horror, sci fi, etc. So so, yeah, I, I you know, like I just think that there was never a final word. Right. Like they said you know, oh, it's on hold or it's this or whatever. And then, you know, it just sort of got forgotten. It, mm -hmm. it became like a lost film. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike used to read these magazines, but he couldn't go see the film. He was young. He's not going down to the Ziegfeld Theater in Manhattan. So that's why right. we have this show today, because they're all on YouTube now. They're all on YouTube. Everything I read in Psychotronic, oh, wow. everything I read in my film books. And I had to take the really? film books. Yeah, well, because, you know, Fantastic Four, I read about it in Film Threat. I, I, you know, and that was it. So I just wow. had a base. So thanks to YouTube, the great yeah. equalizer, I can just finally watch it. And then. Wow, that's just, great. Yeah. Now, what was George Gaines doing on set? I mean, we're talking Punky Brewster. We're talking uh, Police Academy. Did they know they had a star here? Why didn't yeah, they Yeah, he was the biggest them? name. Oh, uh, I don't know that. I don't know. <laughs> were you there to see George Gaines? No, I'm not sure if I met met him on set, and I probably would not know. I mean, I wasn't, like, even at the time, like, and I don't, I tend to not watch mainstream television of any kind. Like, uh, you know, people tell me constantly about the Big Bang Theory yeah. and stuff, and, like, I hate, I, I, I think I've watched that show, and I, I'm not, not a fan. So when it comes to, like, mainstream anything, I'm pretty blissfully unaware. So <laughs> I wouldn't have even known who he was anyways, because I... Never seen an episode of Punky Brewster. Were you there the day that they shot the classroom scene, which in, in the beginning, when he's sitting next to Ben Grimm? Um, I don't think I was there. Okay, that. okay, because that was his big moment. That was his know. big moment. Yeah, yeah. I just think they should have used him. He was a big star. He could have been the Alfred the Butler to them or something. I don't know. They should have squeezed it in. Yeah. Okay, so Chris, now everyone at home, is poised to watch this film at the exact same time as we do here in the studio. They're all going to press play together. So why don't you go ahead and give us that celebrity countdown? Wait, wait, really? How, where yeah. am I counting down from? Yeah, three. Three. Okay, three, two, one, right. go. But it's got to be paced. And so we, we everyone, should, why don't we go from four, three, two, one? Because of Fantastic Four? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. All right, so we're going to watch the Fantastic Four. 
the classic Roger Corman movie. And here we go. We're going to count down from four, three, two, one, play. All right. Very excited. Thank you for that celebrity comedian countdown. Whoever the celebrity New Horizons, that of course is. Right. Uh, We're about to watch Munchies, right? We have watched a few New Horizon videos, straight to video. Uh, this wasn't even straight to video. No, it wasn't Good released leg. at all. You see how this, they, whoever put this up here for us, stuck, snuck in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 1994, there was no such thing. If you don't know anything about this movie and you see that in the beginning, you're all right, ready to go, right? All right, yeah. Good hey, man, I watched, I watched 26 movies to get one storyline. I missed the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe movie. I got to watch it. Well, this is some trippy special effects already. Uh, do you hear the music? Should I? Well, I guess so. I mean, the people who wrote the music spent $6,000 of their own money to hire an orchestra. And we learned that from the documentary about this film. We should mention the documentary is, is almost as fun as the movie. It's called um, Doomed. Doomed which is the true story of this film where all the actors you see here in the opening credits, uh, Rebecca Stab takes a stab at it. Uh, <laughs> stab. <laughs> Michael Bailey Smith took a Smith at it. <laughs> he did. He, uh, oh, oh, he was Ian Trigger. Yeah, he was he Trigger. Me. Ian Trigger. So, um, yeah, it's okay. It's just a documentary about how this film didn't get released. You know, and we'll talk all about it. You know, and you've seen it, and so have I. I have. I I have not seen it recently. I forgot George Gaines is in it, but yeah. Now George Gaines is from Police Academy movies. At least that's how yeah. you know him and love him. Oh and, oh oh, uh, and uh, Pucky Brewster's father. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and 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 the guy from Victor Victoria. Okay. Uh, yeah, Punky Brewster. Do, do go on, do go on. He was Henry Warnamount in Punky Brewster. He was command, Commandant Eric Lassard in Police Academy. And he retired from acting at the age of 86. It was 2003. Um, and he passed away. He was old when he passed away. Yeah, no, you know, he spoke many languages. He, he spoke Russian. Seven languages. Mm -hmm. That's right. He, he was actually born in in a country that – I didn't write it down because I didn't think we would be focusing on this guy. No. He was born in a country in Eastern Europe that was part under the Soviet Union at the time. Why would we focus our, ourselves on Punky Brewster's father? He's like the only star in this movie. Yeah, he's the only one. That's right. Uh, there's the director. God bless. Only. Only. Oli was a music video director, and this was a big, big deal for him uh, because he was going to – oh, there he is, George Gaines. George Gaines up front. Get the star up front like Bruce Willis, and then the last three minutes he shows up. Yeah. No, except he's going away even from this, right? Oh, he's done after this. Bring me Tackleberry. <laughs> Punky, oh, Punky. Oh, Punky. All this scene is showing us is Reed Richards is really smart, and he's friends with Ben Grimm, who wouldn't be in the same class with him 
He doesn't have his brains at all. So you're talking about Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, that big do- doofus from Yancey Street or whatever, a Clancy Street, or well, that was the gang that used to teach. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, he has a lot of troubles. That Ben Grimm. Yeah, he's, like, he's literally a monster. Oh, he was very grim, and he was literally a monster. Now, what we're learning now is Colossus is coming. Colossus is coming. Now, nothing goes faster than the speed of light except for Colossus, which is a comet-like energy source. It is radioactive, and every 10 years it passes Earth, okay? Uh But um, it's going to be the closest that it's ever been to Earth tonight. So Colossus is like a comet or something, like a... Yeah, all of energy. It's nothing to do with Galactus. Right. It has nothing to do with Galactus. All right. Colossus. And it is it is not a comet. It's like energy, like a ball of energy. And it's all whammy jammy radioactive and it's zapping in the insides and stuff, you know. And they there's Victor Von Doom yeah. on the left. Talking uh-huh. with Reed Richards about their plans tonight to harness the energy from Colossus. Oh, okay. I was going to go on a date with Sue Storm, Richard, but I'll be glad to do your project tonight. What could <laughs> go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Wait till you meet Sue Storm. She's just a little girl, and you're going to be like, "This is creepy." Well, is she a college student? Nope, she's a little girl. She's like nine, or maybe she's like twelve. She's got to be like twelve or fourteen. You'll see. How old is her brother, Johnny Storm? Like seven or eight, from the looks of him. Wait a minute. They well, have kids? I mean, this, they... Is, this is the... Or- okay, see these two goofs? Yeah. They're like goons for Victor already. Like, Victor is already like a monarch back home. Right, that's right. So, for, it's kind of weird. We don't know... There she is. That's Sue Storm. I can't see Sue Storm. Oh, there she is. She's invisible. (laughs) She's an invisible woman. Oh, there's Johnny. Hothead. He's a hothead. Oh, he's playing that video game that looks like a cartoon. Right. The really real, right? Yeah. Look at look at it's drawn. It's a drawn cartoon. They're getting epilepsy. I'm getting epilepsy. (laughs) So that's been Grim, and I guess he's friends with Johnny and uh, Sue. Oh, he likes to hang out with the seven, eight-year-old boy? I guess, yes. <clears throat> oh, but it's her boarding house, so I guess he's he's a he lives there. Yeah. And here's Reed Richards, and Sue has a crush on Reed Richards. Oh, they, dreamy. They weren't married in the 60s, right? They got married later? No, they were married in the 60s. Look at the kiss. Right? She goes, oh, my. she touches her cheek. She's got a little girl crush on her. Oh. But they're married, right? <laughs> Not <know>. yet. <laughs> oh, so she's going to be like, sure, Victor, I would love to go on a date. And then Reed's like, oh. Reed would be like, that is inappropriate. That's uh-uh. a little girl. Victor Von Doom. Like, he's dreamy. And then Johnny goes, you're gross. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Why did I get the girl? How come everything goes wrong for a guy named Von Doom? <laughs> Do you think the Fantastic Four is interesting? Okay, so um, when I was 10, 11 years old, um, I would collect comic books. And yeah, I love the Fantastic Four. I had them all. Jack Kirby, he was really, 
his art brought it to life. You were it felt like you were watching a movie as you read the comics. Right. Yeah. Well, everything's so square and weird and misshaped. Right. Yeah. It's all it's stylized, and he, you know, he's got a theme going on. He's sharp edges and creases. You know, he he does a lot of shading. It's jagged and. You know, like you would extend the finger out in the drawings and the knuckles would be all like, like it was a skeleton almost. Well, he was always fun, like in outer space, his cartoons would always have like just weird things in the background and foreground and given a chance to do a page, two page spread or one page spread and stuff's kind of all out there. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. But the, the idea of this family just being superheroes. Yeah, well, they're not a family. Well, Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic. In the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene, this all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing two to five dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio Studio and Gallery Performance Space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. The best barbecue in San Francisco and free comedy? Come get messy with the sauce every Wednesday, 7 p.m. at Baby Blues Barbecue at 3149 Mission Street, just past Cesar Chavez. Hilarious Bay Area stand-up comics, amazing smoked meats, and $5 cans of standard deviant brew. This neighborhood gym is a bizarre and fun weekday night treat with free comedy to tickle your ribs. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at Baby Blues Barbecue. 
Reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite to let us know you're coming to laugh. Yeehoo! Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Artemis Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the Rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate two to five dollars on, hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses, the print's too small. Then Mo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown in on. It's nap time. The year is 2023. Oh, I wish that laughter had value and the unexpected laugh was priceless. Worry not. True entertainment has brought us a savior in who's that live.com. Oh, finally, an escape from the apocalyptic nightmare I live in. You can go to who's that live.com and buy comedy tickets. And you're in a raffle, I guess. True, 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 true productions. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. There is... <laughs> happy, happy hour the, is when... The... Comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live. 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the 